Welcome to Psychotherapy. This is episode 71, and I'm Jet Dunlap. Today's topic is about ego. Lego my ego. That's an old uh, ego commercial reference, not a sponsor. Ego might be a sponsor, but not a not ego. I speak to the fact that the ego in this country right now is quite alive. It is thriving. It is eating all of this negativity and fear. It's eating all this paranoia. That's what it lives on. The ego is not just a person looking in the mirror and thinking, oh, I'm handsome. I'm beautiful. I'm pretty. It's not just Instagram selfies where you pump up the look so much that your eyes are impossibly big and you look like an egg with lizard eyes. It's not about that. It's also about the negative identification. It is the spike of adrenaline that you get by identifying with something that's negative or positive or any image that is in the material world that has impermanence. We speak to that. Do I sound a little pompous? I've just been on a roll, uh, not of bread, but I've been doing the show, so I might sound a little more arrogant. I don't mean to. <laughs> I don't feel it. But uh, there I am calling myself out again. So that's most of the show. I think it's fairly valuable. This may even be one you want to recommend because it is so poignant right now. I hesitate to tell people to tell people about this show. And the reason for that is that I started this from a place of non-ego. And I've tried to maintain that. And I feel that if I ever go into any desire to recommend this show or have you recommend this show, that that is me trying to be egoic or going back to my old world of being able to uh, market and advertise. And I steer so far away from that that I do myself uh, a disservice. Because if you recommend this show to people, you are doing them a service, I believe, without any pride in it. I don't really know what this show is, and I try and, whenever I try and explain it, I am befuddled. And you've probably seen that or heard that in the show. If you've met me and heard me try and talk about it, you've definitely seen it. But I have gotten a lot of feedback from people who feel it does them good. So if you have a chance, that seemed a little long, let people know about it if you like it. Thank you so much for listening. This show wouldn't be anything without its listeners. And you, the listener right now, are a listener. <laughs> so there you go. Now you know what you are. I'm still Jet Dunlap. This is still psychotherapy. And the episode starts now. If you are a listener of this show, you are currently listening. Pretty obvious, right? I mentioned in the last episode that I was going to make a conscious effort to reduce the amount of time I spend backtracking, saying, you've heard me say this before, or if you're a long-time listener, you've heard this, and it was in an effort to not be repetitive. Repetition is great. It is good. This is not a thing that I feel. It is a thing that is true. When I did stand-up comedy or I'm giving someone a message, a message in, you know, this kind of format, so trying to help someone out with their situation, you know, something they're running into in the human condition that I could assist in. I try not to give them the same advice that worked for someone else because I value originality. I'm not sure exactly why. I think that in my family, my mom's side of the family, my family that would be what you would consider 
you know, a family that was raised by all these people because we were very close. We spent all the weekends there. We were all very good. I shouldn't say we. When I was a child, they would talk. It's um, a stereotype, but uh, they're Italian, and they'd yell their opinions at each other. My grandfather, being a successful attorney, was usually the one who'd come in if he heard something that entertained him or caught his interest. And he would always argue in a way that I found beautiful. He interjected his opinion to stimulate some kind of emotion in someone to bring them into a direction that he was trying to get them so that he could come out on top either because they became emotional or because he led them to a place where they ended up making his point. This wasn't mean. It was fun. This was a verbal joust we all got used to. And something that served me tremendously. There is, there are very few things in my life that have as much of an impact on who I am than that training. Malcolm Gladwell's book where he talks about the 10,000 hour rule. I had my 10,000 hours of verbal combat by the time I was about 15 years old. I mention all that to say that me trying to eliminate the good pieces of advice or the moments in my life that have most resonance with the human condition for everyone would be crazy. It is only my egoic fear that some of you would find me repetitive, therefore less interesting, therefore less valuable, and that would make me feel less than in an egoic way. Since I try as hard as I can not to associate with my ego, I will no longer be attempting that in the sense that I will no longer be trying to prevent myself from giving wisdom that I feel is just timeless, it just is, that has been given to me. I will try not to hold that back just because of my little egoic fear of, uh, <laughs> of, of giving you guys repeats. Anyway, the ego has been a big piece that has been showing up in my life recently. Not my ego. I started listening to Eckhart Tolle again. He, he wouldn't call himself a master or a guru. What would he call himself? I guess a teacher. I was introduced to him somewhere around 2000, 2001 by my therapist, who I believe had some kind of work with him at one point. They were very similar in their messages. And uh, that forever changed the way I saw the universe. And with the help of my therapist at the time, Steve Nelson, it really kind of gave me an intuitive shape to the human purpose and our connection to our higher self and bringing silence and peace to our existence through non-judgment. Now, am I absolutely terrible at practicing it? <laughs> I want to say yes, but uh, it's more that I guess I have to give myself credit in the sense that I get—I never have to give myself credit. There's no one putting a gun to my head here. Uh, and if they put a gun to my head and they wanted me to give myself credit, that'd be unusual. I, I dare to give myself credit because I am quite aware when I use my ego unconsciously. When I make a joke about being shirtless or I talk about my body or I brag about something aesthetic, just bragging in general, if you see me, or if it's been on this show, it's usually with a smile or a laugh on this show because I'm aware of it. And that is because of my distancing stimulus and response, which I talk about a lot. And look, I just did that thing I said I wasn't going to do at the beginning. There I am being human again. So two months ago, I started looking 
for Eckhart on podcasts. And I found one that was with Oprah, where they were doing interview style. Eckhart is great because, like me, I don't think he put a lot of pen to paper. His first book was based on interviews he had had with people and workshops he had done. And in the book, people would ask him frequently asked questions, and he would respond to them in free form, which was great, much like this show. Except the questions that I'm asking are questions from my head, (laughs) which again, because I'm human and you're human, we share that. So that's when I first started hearing him. And Oprah would ask him questions that were great for me to recommend to people. So she'd say, well, what do you mean by doing something consciously? She used an example of going up the stairs. She's like, when I went up the stairs, I tried to non-judgment and just went up the stairs consciously, not just trying to get from one place to another. In this case, downstairs, upstairs. She concentrated on one foot at a time. And she said, what do you mean by that? And Eckhart would answer the question. That's a free podcast. And it talks about his second book that came out in 2004, A New Earth. I don't have any sponsors, and I'm recommending you to go to something that uh, in no way do I financially gain anything from. But that's because I want you to better yourself. And that is my goal, that is my wish, and that is my intention. So, Eckhart talks a lot about the ego. And he talks about something called the pain body. Pretty scary, huh? The pain body. And what that is, is that part of you that craves the negativity, wants to watch the news and suck in all that information about diseases that will kill us all. It wants you to understand the division of this country, and it wants you to take sides. And it will feed you talking points, the news, to the pain body, so that you can joust with your friends so that you can create division, so that you can create depression. Now, if you want to know what I feel about the news, I believe all of that is feeding into you being able to buy uh, beer, you being able to buy prescription drugs, you being able to buy cigarettes. Because if they're selling fear, and you're buying fear, and your pain body is absorbing all that, you are quite receptive to that form of advertising and that trick into getting you to consume. Do I sound like a conspiracy nut? I don't think I am, but they don't either. (laughs) It's true, though, and you know it. How much more comfort food do you need when the world is burning, as opposed to when you just had an amazing day? When you saw the smile on your spouse? When your dog, you got home and your dog is just jumping up and down like no human would ever be allowed to express this kind of happiness. And maybe children do, I don't know, I don't have any. But, uh... On those days, maybe you don't need to smoke a cigarette. Maybe you don't need to crack a beer. But when you're full of fear, it helps. So the pain body is what wants that. It is very interesting and quite enlightening, if you are hearing this for the first time, I remember it was for me, to understand that there is a part of you that, like craving nicotine, wants drama. People say things like drama queen, or uh, they should call them drama kings too, but that sounds flattering. Drama queen is a little sexist, so uh, not that I'm trying to be the person that points that out, but it's pretty funny. You're a drama king. Sounds like you just won an award at the Oscars for drama king. Your body wants this. I know mine does. My body, when I'm at my lowest, even if the sweetest, most amazing people in my life, in this case, mostly my wife, my wife, (laughs) 
<laughs> there's no one else right now. I'm sure there will be in the future, and there's definitely been some in the past. But she'll just give me so much love and hug me, but my body becomes rigid and angry. Not at her, because I've jumped into that fire, and all I want is more of it. And that is so addictive. But it's not my fault. What I do about it afterwards, that's my choice. But during it, I'm a victim of that emotion. And I am more prone to it than some because of my clinical depression. And it's funny that when you say things like clinical depression, ADD, dyslexia, you know, all these things that are labels that uh, could define me. And remember, it was after episode 50 that I said I was no longer going to try and use these definitions that were placed on me as pieces that I enjoy. And what I mean by that is that, well, as a dyslexic, as a guy with ADD, as a guy who suffers from clinical depression, and the big one, as a guy who lost his mind three years ago, it was right around this time. I had already gone to the hospital once. I had the anniversary of going to the hospital once a couple days ago, um, being kicked out. It's very difficult for me to think about or talk about, so I'll try not to. But trying not to identify myself as that is as valuable for you as trying not to identify yourself as an IT technician, an attorney, a wife, a husband. Because the identification starts setting up parameters on who you are and what you're capable of. And then you naturally, with the assistance of your ego, it tries to get you to be that thing. I had a long beard and a top knot, which meant my hair was very long. It came down to about my shoulders. I grew it after I lost my mind. A good friend of mine who's a very successful hypnotherapist who just reconnected with me. She and I were business partners for a very long time. I've known her about 16 years. She and I went away from each other since 2014 because both of us were in a bad place and the relationship could not continue from there. It was not easy. I really like this person, but both of us needed some time apart energy-wise to be able to accomplish what we could. And we were both going through a dark patch. And I won't speak to what the portions of her life were, but she went through some dramatic situations. And so did I. We lost touch right before I lost my mind, as I describe it. Delirium is what I was had um, clinically. Didn't know who I was, where I was. And when I was taken out of the hospital every night, every day, I still thought I was in the hospital. I thought that I was dreaming. So I was terrified all the time. This individual and I separated right before that, friendship-wise. I've done this with other people because when I believe that my energy is hindering someone's uh, ability to succeed or their energy is toxifying. Toxifying? Is that, is that what I would want to say? If their energy is toxic to me and hinders my ability to be what I need to be for others, then I separate from that person. It's very important to understand that I do not do this to negatively affect them. I do not do this to hurt them or to make me feel superior lately. Since I got the gift from my grandfather and from someone in my family who very angrily attacked me, she taught me a lesson, this individual, totally different person. Um, let's call her JB. JB gave me this lesson in 2018 that really made me understand how I could separate myself and have that be a gift for someone. Let me give you an example. There is an individual who I told you I used to work with in a creative capacity or, you know, whatever it is. I 
broke touch with them and told them I couldn't be his friend for right now or act in that capacity. And I do not regret that. I found that that person seems to be doing much better. I don't give myself credit for that, but I think it happened at the right time. This other individual, let's call her, let's call her AL. AL was very helpful to me and she's a very successful um, hypnotherapist. And she was talking about that instance that I had just brought up with her. We just got in touch again. And she said that uh, it was ego death that happened to me. That's something that Neckart talks about. And very interestingly, I had that word exactly queued up in my text, a text back to her when she beat me to the punch. And I'm glad she did. I didn't want to send the concept of ego death to her because that feels like an ego move, right? Saying that your ego died sounds like I have conquered my ego, therefore, (laughs) isn't that an ego move? But it, it very much, to my belief at this point, is that. And she was the first one to call it that. She's She was a hypnotherapist that I worked with many years ago, 2014, and she was incredible. She just has a gift. She's unbelievable at it. And there may be some connection that goes forward with us that I'll get into later. Um, Her coming back into my life at this point was exactly the right time. Both of us knew that. We have had a unconscious connection for subconscious connection or higher mind uh, connection forever. I definitely, if this offends you, I'm sorry, but uh, believe that I've known her over multiple, multiple lifetimes. And uh, if I am too puny a brain person to understand the concept of maybe not multiple lifetimes, but in different universes, whatever the case is, I feel like I've known her, you know, just those people that you feel like you've met for the first time, and like I've known you forever. uh, That is only deepened. And the fact that we got in touch with each other the other day, and everything just came back immediately, we've always been able to do that. Well, I guess the point of this is, her calling it ego death sounded right to me. Right after that ego death, I grew the beard and the hair. I didn't want people to look at me and see someone that was pretty, someone that was a movie star, someone that represented something that they thought I was. You're thinking, what a, let's just say it, asshole. (laughs) Poor you. It's like a rich person complaining about their money, which I have to say because I often judge those folks. Um, And then I don't judge myself for the gifts I have. I needed to not enjoy the temporary ego spike of people telling me I was handsome. It was, for lack of a better concept, kind of my monk phase. I didn't talk to anyone really. I started the show. I started writing. Yes, I went through a lot of depression. But this happened right after what I almost called her by her name. AL would have said that was my ego death. It doesn't mean I don't have an ego, but it means that something's separated. And Gina would be the first person to say that when I got out of that situation, it took me over a year to get my personality back. I was different forever. And do I have an ego? Absolutely. Am I aware of it when I use it? Oh, you bet. Was I before? No, I was a liar. You know, I'd lie about returning something at the store to make it work for me, or I'd lie about promotions to get a hotel for cheaper. I would manipulate situations to suit myself because I believed that I was wronged and I deserved something. I don't know that I've ever said that out loud, but that's true. I would hurt people to feel superior. This sounds evil, if you think of it as something I did consciously. I did it because I was consumed by my ego. So when I grew my hair out after I lost my mind and my beard, that was to remove myself from my previous identity. 
when I decided to cut my beard in August. It was because I was ready to enter the world fully, and I was ready to be complimented on something like my aesthetic that I that I work on very much. You guys know that. I was, I'm at the gym every single day, even though this virus is spreading through the country. I take good precautions, but this is something that's very important to me, my physical fitness, for my sanity and for my health. What the big difference is, is that when I get complimented, and I am lucky enough to be complimented a lot, um, just the other day at Gina's uh, Pilates class, um, I'm not trying to rack this up just to give you an example, but um, you know, people even tell me I'm very handsome just out of the blue, and I know how lucky that is. But when they say that, I don't think that they're talking to me. What I mean by that is they're speaking to the human, (laughs) again, I said this once before, and it sounds like I'm a murderer, skin suit that I occupy at this moment, Um, my shell, right? My avatar on this planet. Almost every religion believes in a soul. That is who I am. What I am right now physically, the way that my face displaces light in a favorable way, Uh, had more to do with my parents than I'd like to admit. And therefore, I do not accept possession of it. And that's true. (laughs) You've heard me say a couple of times things out loud that I'm so surprised to hear that I can't help but belly laugh. It's true. I don't think of it as myself. I look through these eyeballs like a spaceship. And I used to do this, especially when I do distance running, which was my total Zen moment. I'd run for 20 miles, 25 miles, just for fun. And eventually you just feel like you're looking out the window of a spaceship. You kind of have to detach yourself because of that rhythmic pattern. And I would listen to spiritual books on tape that weren't on tape. You old bastard, uh, audio books or, uh, no podcast at the time when I was a big runner, but I would feel like I would feel more detached from that, that physical host that I exist in. So that helped me a lot. Interesting point on running and ego. When I was in my late twenties, I literally could go home and run 21 miles. I remember this lady and I were working together. We owned a a talent management company together and we've, we worked in business together for a lot, especially in our twenties. And she and I had to go to a meeting that night in Los Angeles. And before I went to the meeting with uh, AL, she said, what are you doing right now? I said, I'm running. I felt inspired to run more. I ran 22 miles or 21 miles. And I remember recently after I got out of the hospital and and, uh, six months, maybe seven months, I don't know the exact dates, I started trying to run again to that level. I could run 10, I, I more than once ran 10 miles a day for over a month. I tried to do that. And I don't know that I'm not able to, but I certainly was not able to do that. And for a moment, I thought, how sad. I am not able to do what I once was able to do. My body is older than it was when I did that. And that affects my ability to run distance. And instead of being sad about that and feeling like I experienced a loss and that the age of my body is a disadvantage. I accepted it and started lifting weights. (laughs) So that sounds silly. But what I did is I said, this is the body you have now. 
let's do, I like to challenge myself, right? So I said, let's challenge yourself in the world of anaerobic working out as opposed to as much aerobic working out because that is something that is not as impacted by your age. I accept my age. I joke about how I'm an old 30 uh, because I enjoy doing that. (laughs) But I like my age because I'm able to talk to you guys right now in a way I never could have at any other point. And when my ego flares up, and it does, I have an ego fire extinguisher. And that is, when my ego flares up, I breathe. I go, this is the first time on a podcast where someone has actually illustrated breathing so that you knew what it was. Because, you know, that's not something you've done your whole life. So I breathe when I get nervous about my age. For instance, there are many moments where I am a victim of crazy thinking. Uh, I'll think, why am I not a multimillionaire? Why am I not a Hollywood celebrity? Why am I not? Why am I not? Why, which means detachment from the moment, am I, I, making it personal, which is the ego, not meaning negative again. And so for that moment, I get sad and I go, oh, I wish I was a 21-year-old celebrity instead of what I am now. Then I take a deep breath and I realize that it's good that I'm not anything other than what I am now. The reason this topic came up is because of the world we are in right now. And I've talked about it in the last three or four episodes. I am on social media. I find it to be an incredible way to see how the lives of the people that I cared about in the past, am interested in knowing in the future, is going And I like to see the good things that is happening to him. Someone had a birthday. Someone, you know what it is. I don't look for it to tear people down. And I don't engage myself in political conversations or anything that would be incendiary. However, the other day as an experiment, I put up a question asking about something in politics. Very benign. And I watched the conversations that came out of it. And man, oh man, was it a ego battle. And it was almost beautiful. A relative of mine and a young man who is a friend of my brother-in-law went at it for about four days, back and forth. This thread got so giant that it had about 90 comments. They're both of the same political party. (laughs) You know, they're on the same team. And this was a great little experiment because one is a retired baby boomer and the other is a living-at-home millennial. The millennial likes one individual running for the presidency on the Democratic side, and then my uncle likes the other. Remember, they're on the same side, but both of them are making point and counterpoint nonstop to each other, trying to get them to believe in their beliefs. I was told something, and I think it was in uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Don't quote me on that, but it was, I think it was. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Man, meaning humanity. I do not try and convince someone at this point in my life, and haven't for years now, of something that they will have to be forced into, that they fundamentally will not believe, or something that will never make a difference. My very good friend and partner, I don't know if he listens to the show anymore, Raul and I, I've mentioned him before for sure, 
great guy, known him since high school. We couldn't have a better partnership in the business I do that's in construction, the construction-based company. He and I have very differing views politically. And I won't say what his party is or who he votes for, but he's very vocal with me about this. And sometimes, I think because he's bored, and if he's listening to this, I'm sure he'd agree, he will try and ignite my ego into battling him about his preference and my preference. But I do not accept that. And today, I, I think I said to him, I was going to read it, but I'll just, you know, get my, <laughs> my reading is off the page. I will say that I told him, nice try. I like you too much. And he laughed. He didn't, I don't know if he really laughed, but he laughed in text. And that is because I respect this man. I believe that he lives a good life. I believe that he's a good father. And he's done a lot of good things for a lot of people. And the fact that we differ politically in a very, it could be a very dramatic way, the way the world is right now in the division. I don't let it be. Because I don't let it be. (laughs) I was going to give you a long reason, but I don't. I know him to be a good man. And that's all that matters. And if I convinced him against his will, he would still have the same opinion as I just told you. So what's the point? So this battle between my uncle and this millennial online was just two people's egos trying to make a point. But what I thought of it is, and I think I even put this comment, but he erased it. As I said, it's two people yelling in a hallway to themselves. Isn't that a great metaphor for what's going on in the world right now? Especially in this country, I shouldn't say the world. Or at least what the media wants you to believe or the news wants you to believe. My last post today said, turn off your news. And then my uncle said, ignorance is bliss. And I said, again, something to the effect of, I don't believe it's ignorance. If the news is actually giving me facts, that would be one thing. But it's just, it's just an advertisement dressed up as news. And uh, it's just trying to sell you fear. And so I don't participate in that. It, the news is on at the gym a lot. And my incredible wife, when she goes to the gym and she works out on these cardio machines for a long time, she'll have them change the channel which I think is so cool. She'll be like, turn it on HGTV. She won't even, we cut the cord in 2008, Gina and I, we haven't had news since then. Uh, We have streaming TV, of course, but in that case, we're able to control what goes into our brains. And guys and guyettes, controlling what goes into your brain, there's no amount of words I could use to describe how important that is. If you want to change your life, you control what goes in your head. I live pretty much off the grid. And I only let people into my life who I believe, and I'm not going to say people who are just good people or people who are only positive. That's not the case. But I would remove anyone toxic. And I have. When you think about removing someone, it sounds very cold and callous. It's not that. Like in the case of AL, this woman who's a hypnotherapist, we went away from each other for a long time. And now I know the narrative going forward with us in our friendship will be beautiful. We both have pretty powerful intuition. And I think we've both been waiting to work with each other for a long time. So we came back when we needed to. Because sometimes the best thing you can do for someone is give them the gift of goodbye. How many relationships do you know where the two people separated and they individually were great people, but together it was toxic? How many people do you know right now who are in that position and you really wish you could do something? You can't. They have to learn it on their own. My father right now, and this may come as a shock to some people who know him, is trying to do something very noble. And it's he's trying to help change a person's behavior who he cares about deeply. And although on the surface, that is a great thing. And in some cases, you can really do it. 
I laugh because changing people is tough if they're not children. Tough, but not impossible. But if you try for years and years and years, you're just doing it because of your ego. I'm not saying that's what's going on with my dad, but fortunately or unfortunately, we have the power of will, free will, as they would talk about it a lot in the Bible, and free willy, as they talk about it a lot in the 90s. That's about a whale that gets free. A person, and if you are familiar with addiction, you know this better than most, cannot change unless they're ready. Oh, doesn't that suck? <laughs> don't, don't we all wish we could just inject those people we love with the tools or the lessons we've learned that have given us the insight that would help them through that struggle they're going through? You know I've lost people to struggles like that, and I would have loved to have given them the insight, but you can't. That's just how it's set up, and whatever set it up knows more than me. Obviously, they had something to do with making me, right? I can't make a me. I guess I could. I can make a child. Well, not on my own. I don't want to make a child. What does that have to do with anything, Jet? You're going off on a tangent here, but it's one of the first of the show, so it's okay. Ego. Sneaky. Pride. You ever seen The Devil's Advocate with uh, Keanu Reeves and um, Al Pacino? I met Keanu right after he was done filming that. And I was working at McDonald's at the time. He was a ice skater, I think maybe even roller hockey. And so we hit it off. And like I'd said, he'd even let me have conversations with him. I think we, I don't know if we really had lunch together, but we sat down together. It was like coffee or something. He told me, I said, what are you working on right now? And he said, oh, I'm working on a movie with Al Pacino. And I laughed out loud. Here I am, this zit-faced little, I don't know, 16-year-old. And I laughed in Keanu's face because I knew him as like Bill and Ted's. So the idea that he was in a serious film with Al Pacino, me being a little shit, I thought I'd laugh at that. Like I thought he was joking, which uh, he was cool with. He was a very cool dude. But in The Devil's Advocate, the movie, was that an ego move telling you I talked to Keanu Reeves? No, it's just a fun little anecdote. It's not like we're still friends. I have his autograph, though, on a McDonald's receipt. <laughs> That's definitely ego. That's showing off. Did you know Jet has Did you know Jet has a uh, autograph of Keanu Reeves? From Keanu Reeves? Of Keanu Reeves. From Keanu Reeves on a McDonald's receipt? Oh, really? Well, then he's the king of the world. Um, I mentioned it because it's anecdotal and fun. The Devil's Advocate is a great little film. It's got some nudity. It's got some violence. So uh, it's a hard R. Hard R. Uh, there was no such thing as hard R's when I was a kid. But it ends up that the only thing that Keanu's character can't resist is pride. That's a tough one. There are parts of the Bible where they really knew that they were doing. And uh, that's one of them. Sin, which uh, its original meaning, sin, by the way, is off the mark, basically. Not being on the mark, which is a less intense way of saying something that is bad. Uh, there's more of a connotation there than you were off the mark. So correcting yourself is possible in the off the mark concept of it. Anyway, what have we learned today since I'm clearly out of words? Uh, reading rainbow. <laughs> this is my reading rainbow part. I guess it's pretty good that I don't remember exactly because my goal recently and the way I've been meditating has been to stay moment focused. And in that, when I talk, I'm not dragging as much of my residual conversation earlier or monologue in this case forward. So it's harder for me to access exactly what I was speaking on. But as usual, I was talking about not letting exterior stimuli 
affect you because you're better than that. Not in an ego way. You're an incredible creature. And uh, you deserve to feel good, or at least joy. Good being a little difficult because in the spiritual idea of it, good is the other side of bad. So experiencing either of those is tough. But joy, I talk about that when I'm done working out or when I've meditated. That kind of stillness. You deserve that. This country and the world is going through some real tension. But tension and stress is a choice that you should choose not to participate in. You not participating will spread. You could create the good virus by being moment-focused, by telling people, hey, you know, you don't have to read the news. You don't have to worry about this because if you do need to worry about something, that means it's in your life. And then it's appropriate not to worry but to take action, so there's no point to worry. You could be the beacon of sane thinking. So, I hope you can do that. I'm Jet Dunlap. This is Psychotherapy. Thanks for listening.